Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We're going to be um, continuing um, our series um, on image. Has everyone got their church app? Has everyone got it open? I've got some notes on there. If you have not um, downloaded the church app, you can just go to New Spring Church um, and you will see the title of today's message. And I just need you to, um, I hope you can realize there is method in the madness. There is method in the madness. One of the things I've been wanting to do um, this year is to actually um, do, do shorter messages and actually um, almost lay, like, like every week, give a different layer of understanding. So it's almost like going to school. So if you miss class, you're going to have to catch up um, with that. But the thing which I'm really preoccupied with is this concept of the kingdom of God. I'm really preoccupied with this idea of temple that we've been talking about. When I look through the New Testament, I see Jesus, the king of this kingdom, the, 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 who embodies the kingdom of God. He is going all over the place. And in my imagination, I just see incredible things happening. It's almost like people are literally sucked in to this kingdom space. And if that is the picture of the kingdom of God, that people are literally sucked in, my intrigue is, is it possible, is it viable that a church in 2023 can so embody the kingdom of God that people are literally sucked in? Is anyone else intrigued with that? Does that sound exciting to anyone else? Would you like to like, actually tell your senior pastor, like, that's exciting, Dave. Or, or, or the alternative is actually to live this irrelevant, boring, beige Christian life. And if you want to do that, the beach is a lot more appetizing right now. But there is an opportunity for us to actually posture ourselves to actually embody the kingdom. And when we do that effectively, that's my intrigue. All sorts of stuff is really going to happen. So today's message, anyone want to tell me what today's message is called? Understanding the times, understanding the times, understanding the times. Beautiful. Um, let's chuck that first slide up. Um, Derek and everyone should be pretty familiar with this one by now. Does everyone love this, um, this diagram by now? Anyone getting sick of it as yet? Um, I intend that by the end of this year, you guys will, like, it'll be so boring to you guys that every person in this church by the end of this year will be able to teach this stuff to anyone else. That's kind of the intent. But this series is called Image. And what we're trying to do is that we're trying to figure out what it means to actually be faithful resurrection people living in 2023. And what we're doing this year is that we are using a very familiar model, a theological model, um, creation, fall, redemption. Those are the three words at the bottom. But what we're wanting to do is actually use contemporary language. Um, because language is a great tool. So we've actually said this is what we want to talk about this year. The Bible story is about a goal. God has a goal. He has intention. He has dreams that he has in mind. Goal, and then there's a mess. Everyone aware there's a mess? We just talked about the mess with Steve. Injustice in the world. There's mess all around the place. But then there's also a plan. And what we've been saying is that much of the Bible is, all, is actually about the plan. There doesn't seem to be a lot of chapters about the goal. Um, there's a few chapters about the mess because the mess is more than just the, what happened in the Garden of Eve, uh, not Garden of Eve, the Garden of Eden, <laughs> the Garden of Eve, the Garden of Eden. Um, I was out at a wedding last night, so late nights on the Saturday do not do me well. Um, the Garden of Eden, um, 
And most of the Bible is about the plan. Um, but what we haven't spent a lot of time is talking about the goal. So I wanted to talk about the goal in this. So we've been learning so far that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 has a lot of detail in it about what God's dream and God's plan is and what his intention is for creation and also for the role of humanity in his creation. And it is absolutely incredible. We've been going through Genesis 1, and I'm sure that I've probably stirred a couple of you when I've actually said that the genre of Genesis 1 is poetry, epic poetry. And if you even read it in the English, you know, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. There it's structured like poetry. But it is this epic poetry. And it's this epic poetry which is purposed to spark and enlarge the imagination of anyone who would hear it. Anyone who would hear it. And we need to also keep in mind that, that this epic poetry, this story, is actually about functional beginnings, not necessarily material beginnings. If you want to see material beginnings in Genesis, you go to Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. There you go. From there, we're talking about functional beginnings. And that's different. Um, and again, you're going to have to go back to the YouTube stuff and actually um, hear all that. I haven't got time to go through all of that. But we also said that this epic poetry, this story was given to people thousands of years ago in a period of time that we call the ancient Near East. A period of time that we use to describe the values, the culture, the ideologies, the shared knowledge that the people of the time had. And that's hard for us because we live in this liberal democracy, don't we? And it's an incredible thing. The, 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 the difficult thing with a liberal democracy is that it elevates our individualism, consumerism, and all these things, which means that with everything in life, we want things on our terms, don't we? The problem is you can't read the Bible on your terms. You have to read on their terms because it was given to them. And then we apply it to us, and then we can actually understand it on our terms. So we have to do a bit of work in that. And we need to understand that when it comes to reading this ancient text, it's going to be difficult because we're living in a specific culture right now, which is different to 4,000 years ago. We started talking about what Genesis um, is about, what is being communicated. Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3, being your notes also on the screen. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd begun doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from the, all the work of creating he had done. Genesis 1, this epic poetry, is a story, is the account of how God establishes functional order in out of the functional order in this formless, chaotic space of non-order in order to inaugurate the world as a cosmic temple. And we talked about the weirdness of that word temple. It's odd, it's strange, it's foreign. Yet, temple is an image that runs from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And in the ancient Near East imagination, when they heard certain key elements in this story, they automatically knew, ah, this is a story about a temple being built. This is a home story, not a house story. And some of those elements were six days, that's significant. Seventh day, really significant, that God would come in on the seventh day and rest, really significant. And then we hear the story about an image being placed in this space and they're thinking, aha, I know this is about God's just made a temple. Because that was just common knowledge, common understanding. 
Hence, we've been using this blurb to talk about the story of God or the goal of the story of God, which is simply this. And again, it's in your notes. What is the Bible story about? God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. God is um, establishing his rule over creation through humanity. Can we get that slide up, Ray? For his glory. That's what the Bible story is all about. Now, two weeks ago, I added another layer. Because building temples, pretty common in the ancient Near East. But there was one qualifier that actually meant that a legitimate temple could actually be built. A temple could only be built if your God defeated the God of another nation. Again, common knowledge, common understanding in the ancient Near East. So if you go and battle another nation and you whip their backside, that actually means that your God just whooped that nation's God's backside. And when that happened, only then, only then can you build a temple. And what we brought to our attention is that in the ancient Near East, there was this divine warfare pattern that was, again, known in the ancient Near East. And the pattern went like this. There was a threat. Then there's conflict between the gods. There's victory. Then after the victory, the victorious God is actually called king. There's this cosmic lordship. After that kingship, then a house is built. A temple is built, and at the very end of that, guess what? The people who are, uh, have allegiance to their God, they celebrate. Does anyone like celebrating here? Yeah. Could you imagine like, if we actually celebrated like we truly believe that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Because evidently, according to the pattern, in our job description should be celebration over and over and over and over. And you know what comes from celebration? Joy, happiness, delight. You guys don't look like you're joyful at the moment. You got like, like the pastor saying, Dave, like... Like celebration, like that's actually part of the pattern. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that this pattern is really, really interesting because this pattern was just known in the ancient Near East. And guess where we find this pattern? In Israel's scriptures. And guess where else this pattern's found? In the New Testament. This pattern is actually through the New Testament. We spent a bit of time just looking at the book of Ephesians to actually show that. And this pattern's really informative for us in 2023 for at least three reasons. The first reason is for us to understand what Jesus actually accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Why did Jesus have to die? He died for my sin. Yeah? And what? That's certainly part of it, but that is nowhere near the whole picture. And that is nowhere near actually what is actually um, told to us by this actual pattern. So, so why did Jesus actually have to die? What was accomplished? What happened? We've been talking about that. It also helps us understand the unique privilege that we have as being the church. Collectively, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Temples were incredible. Temples still are incredible because, number one, temples stand as a monument to the victory of your God. And number two, temples are literally the space on earth where your God is. So if we truly believe that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're the church, guess what? You don't need to ask for God to come. This is his house. Why would we? He's here. He is present. He is reigning. He is ruling. And it also helps us understand what our witness to this world would be, that we are supposed to be a monument to his victory. Is all this making sense so far? I'm doing a quick recap. 
Ephesians 2 verse 20 to 22 says this, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ, Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. There's that word in the Lord. And in him, you too being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is this story about? Well, Jesus is actually victorious over all of Yahweh's cosmic enemies that enslave humanity, that enslave creation. Genesis 1 begins with temple building, this place where God reigns, where he literally rests. The story begins and ends with this temple idea. And this temple imagery is actually thread throughout the entire Bible. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to start delving into the image. You're probably thinking, Dave, you've called this series Image, and we're like in week eight right now, and we still haven't gotten to the image part. But I want to talk about what it means to be the image of God, that functional vocation. I want to talk about what that image vocation means, what it meant, what was lost, and what now has been reclaimed as those of us who are resurrection people. But in order to do that, I'm just trying to build a context for us so that we can actually put that information in its appropriate context, which is the temple conversation of how God is establishing his rule on earth through humanity for his glory. Are you guys with me so far? Is this a bit too deep for a Sunday morning? You guys like thinking, Dave, it's been a long time since I've been to school. We're going to talk about understanding the times. I just want to put this up front. The reason why you got your notes, understanding the times, what we're going to go into, this is tricky to understand. Um, there's a lot, of the, a lot of kingdom stuff where it's like, oh, I need to try and get my head around. I need to think about this. Um, and I just want us to understand and just relax and say, we're going to be going through this stuff for the year. So it's, it's okay. It's like bits and pieces. I understand that. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't. Because collectively, remember, this is the posture for this year. Collectively, we're trying to figure this out. All right? We're doing this together. So talk amongst each other. Go read scripture. Um, if you want some good theology um, resources, come and talk to me and, and things like that. Romans 13, verse 11. Paul says this to the church in Rome. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And do this understanding the present time. Is anyone kind of like um, honest enough to say, like you look out into the world, you see the narratives of this world, and you say, you know what? I'm not really sure I understand this present time. I think that word understand implies that, man, it's going to take a bit of work to understand this. Because there are, there are portions of life, and, and, and we sing about we're going to be celebrating Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, the victory of Jesus Christ. But you look in different parts of the world and say, Jesus, I don't see any victory there. And I don't see any victory there. And there are portions of my life, there are portions of my marriage, I don't see any victory over there. But what's up? And you can honestly think, okay, God, like, did you lie to me? Has anyone been honest enough in your conversations with God say, God, what's up, man? Like, seriously, I'm believing this stuff, but it appears to me that you're lying here. 
That does happen, doesn't it? There is tragedy, there is mess, but there's also wonder. Sometimes we need to like take a step back and say, man, I'm not understanding this. And guess what? It's okay. Stay part of the family. Stay on the journey. There are going to be times where we don't understand what is going on, and that is okay. That's what it means to be human. Like, we want to be human, right? So just stick around. There's going to be times where I'll sit with people, and like, as a senior pastor, I'm not immune to this. I'll be sitting with people and say, you know what? I'm just not understanding this right now. I need you to, I need you to help me understand this. I sit with a young guy like Stephen. It's like, okay, you need to explain this to me. Like, I'm 43, but I need you as a young 22-year-old to explain this to me. It's hard to understand the times sometimes, and that's okay. Let's just make sure we stick together because collectively we're going to have the wisdom and collectively we're going to get it done. But we're not going to do it individually because the church is actually collectively. Let's put out the divine warfare. Let's look at that, no, the, the previous one. Okay, let's look at this because a lot of this it seems straightforward, doesn't it? You've got a threat. Okay, we read through the Israel scriptures, there's, there's definitely a threat. You know, you've you got these, these, these other Elohim or these other heavenly beings who are running amok around the world. There's a threat, there's a conflict. Yeah, there's definitely conflict. You know, you, you look at the story of, of the Exodus and you've got Pharaoh's magicians over there who are representing the kingdom of Pharaoh and they are confronting Moses who represents the kingdom of Yahweh and the magicians over there saying, man, we have no idea what's going on here. All we know is that that, that is the finger of Yahweh. That is the finger of God. There's this conflict, you know. Then there's victory. Yes, victory. Jesus walking around Israel, people saying, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus saying, you must be crazy. That's just nuts. That is absolutely nuts. How in the world does a strong man who was enslaving a region, like what was happening, how in the world does a strong man get tied up unless there is a stronger person who came on the scene, tied him up, and now I'm plundering his house? Man, Jesus got swag. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine that? He's got swag. He just waltzes into the devil's playground like nothing's happening at all and binds him up and does whatever he wants. And that's the embodiment of the kingdom. Could you imagine if there's an embodiment of the kingdom today where we walk into the devil's playground and we do whatever we want because we embody and represent the kingdom of God, a monument to his victory. Could you imagine that? That's what I'm trying to get our imagination around. That would be incredible. But you look at this victory and this kingship, yes, and, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it should be celebration. I'd like to think this year we'll actually up the ante on some celebration. But the victory bit, I mean, like, I, I can like, look at it, I understand in times I'm ticking everything, I'm ticking threat. Okay, I tick conflict. Kingship, yeah, tick. House building temple, okay, done that, tick. Celebration, tick. Victory, okay. I look into the world. Victory, victory, I don't see any victory there. I don't see any victory there. I think victory needs a bit of explanation. What's happening here in a theological sense? The reality is that the church in 2023 lives and exists in a very obscure time. And we just need to know that. You really do need to know that. I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition. I didn't know that. But then life comes and kicks you up the backside. 
I get a little bit like so, so for, from my end, I, I, I like I often think about like people go to church, the smallest amount of people go to Bible college and then they learn this stuff. But that information is never brought back to the church. So my thing is, how can I actually bring this information back to the church? And one of the things that we need to think about and understand about the times is that we live in a very obscure time. We do. We live in this time where Jesus has defeated Yahweh's cosmic enemies, though they are not yet destroyed. They're defeated, but not yet destroyed. And that doesn't make sense to us. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated as yet. That's odd. The kingdom of God is both here, but it's not fully here. That's an odd position. That's an ambiguous place. That's an obscure place to be in, right? This new age of resurrection life has been inaugurated, but we still wait for its fullness on the future day of the Lord. And this is what I'm saying. No one is going to convince me, and I will never try to convince you that this is easy to understand because it's an obscure place that we're in, which is where the beauty of the family of God comes in. This obscure place is where the beauty of, okay, sometimes you're going to have some doubts. That's okay. That's what it means to be human. There are going to be some times where I don't understand. That's okay. Stick with us. Be part of the family because we're going to get there together. Amen? Because there are going to be times when I have doubts, but you don't, so you speak into my doubts. There's going to be times when I'm discouraged, but you have enough strength to encourage me. Amen? That only happens in relationship, only happens in family. This is a um, pretty familiar slide that we're going to put up, which sort of tries to explain where we are in this world. And again, it's in your notes. Go and have a look at it. Talks about these um, words and, and phrases that I've been using over the last couple of years. You will notice I do say things like this present evil age and, and things like that, resurrection life and all. But what it does is it actually um, tells us or, or, or puts in our mind the time that we live in right now. They're God's cosmic enemies. What are God's cosmic enemies? That's an interesting one. Oh, the devil. That's one. Principalities, powers, the flesh, sin. There are all of these characters which are in play which have been defeated, but they haven't been destroyed as yet. And we live in this obscure time right there in the middle. And because we live in this obscure time in the middle, the witness of the church in this obscure time is that we are supposed to function and operate and demonstrate and live as signs and evidence of a brand new world. There is supposed to be something about who we are as a church. We're living in this obscure time. And as the world looks at us, they should see something so radically different. Like, like, like this idea, the way that we love each other, the way that we delight in each other, the way that we eat together, the way we go to the footy and watch the eagles lose by, like, seriously. But we do it together. There should be something about that that the world looks on and says, hmm, that's different. And it is the sprouts of a brand new world 
Isn't that amazing? Here's one of the issues, though. I remember when the same-sex marriage came out, right? And I, and I remember, and I remember, like, the Christians jumping up and down. And I also remember what the world actually said. This is what they said. So they said, oh, so now you want to own marriage. Ah. Oh. Like, now, now that this is happening, now you want to own it? Come on. They actually made the observation, you guys have not been doing this stuff right yourself. And now you want it? That's what the world says. I'm not too concerned about all that kind of stuff. All I'm trying to do is, is actually say to us collectively, is like, how amazing would it be if we were faithful in actually being these resurrection people, that we actually understood this stuff and thought deeply about this stuff, that when the world looks upon us, they see these evidence, they see signs. It's like we are this huge signpost. We are pointing this way. Which way is that way? A brand new world, the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. And in that regard, there is space for all of our passions, all of our desires. We're all going to have different stuff. All of us, we're in different places. Jess, you're at Cecil Andrews. What an incredible opportunity to actually have these sprouts of the kingdom. You know, Cecil Andrews said, that was my high school. Cecil, it hasn't changed a bit since I was there. I'm surprised I survived. Cecil Andrews Senior High School, and there are sprouts of the kingdom. Sprouts of the kingdom. Like people involved in all these different like, volunteer organizations that are, that are helping and bringing flourishing and bringing safety and bringing dignity. And the world looks on and says, man, that's different. It should be because we're living in between these times and we understand it's obscure. We understand it is hard, it is difficult. Unless we engage our minds, we're not going to get it. You can't be too spooky pooky. Right? But at the same time, please do not think that, 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 that the spiritual and prayer and all that does not play a part. This is, that is one thing our church needs to get a lot better at, by the way, praying. We are not a praying church. One hour on Mondays. We can do that. Doesn't take much. Um, but we need that. But at the same time, don't think it's just prayer. We get our hands dirty and we do it as well. But we're in this space, in this incredible space. Here's one portion of scripture which is a little bit tricky, but it's a couple of verses that kind of explain this awkward, obscure place at where we are. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 24 to 26. Paul's speaking church in Corinth. And there's been questions about the resurrection, okay? That's the context. Then the end will come. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? Any teachers here? The end will come? Future tense. Okay, so we're looking forward to something, all right? Then the future will come when he, he is Jesus, when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So there's that point right there. The enemies have been defeated, but they are yet to be destroyed. But that day will come, okay? This is this obscure time that we're in right now. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. What is dominion, authority, and power? They are cosmic enemies of Yahweh that enslave humanity and enslave creation. That's what they are. 
Verse 25, for he must, talking about Jesus going, he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. He must reign. What is that? Future tense, present tense, or past? Present, right? So this is future destination, but presently right now, Jesus must reign. So that lets me know right now, if we look at the divine warfare pattern, Jesus is our cosmic king. He is reigning right now, right now. Enemies have been defeated, yet to be destroyed. Obscure, weird time that we live in as the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's future again. But there are these cosmic enemies that the Bible talks about. And as you read through your New Testament from now on, you'll actually see this language over and over and over again. There are principalities, there are powers, there are authorities, there are dominions, there is the flesh, there is sin, there is the Satan. There are all of these different characters in play. And they have been defeated, but they haven't been destroyed yet. But that day is coming. And that day is guaranteed, by the way. But for now, we live in this weird Obscure time where Christ reigns. So for the New Testament understanding of the kingdom of God or for this temple imagery is that the defeat of Yahweh's enemies has happened. And we as a church, we are invited to participate in the present reign of Christ or to participate in the Spirit's power. That's what that means, to, to, to participate in the reign of Christ. We're reigning with Christ. We're participating in the Spirit. That's where we are right now. That is the invitation that's open to anyone, anyone. That's kind of cool. And we anticipate a future transformation and inheritance of the consummation of the kingdom of God. And all that information, and I know I'm actually trying to give you some real solid stuff in a really accessible way. So please, like if some of that stuff you say, Dave, I still don't understand, that is okay. Just please understand that from, from all of us. That's okay. But stay on the journey. We're going to actually get this. Remember, we're trying to figure this out as a church, as a family. We're trying to figure this out. All right? And I also understand some of the stuff that we teach in this church, it's like sort of you're going to have to unlearn some other stuff. But what we're doing is going to Scripture. We're going to Scripture and say, okay, what does this actually say? So all this actually means that there is this very real daily question that you and I should really be asking ourselves. And the question is this, whose reign am I participating with today? Whose reign? Whose reign am I participating with today? The invitation is to reign with Christ. However, in order to reign with Christ, that requires certain postures and certain attitudes that look like Christ. But what happens in my life is that I, I, I aspire to reign with Christ, but then I get tricked into participating with principalities, powers of this present evil age that have been defeated and not yet destroyed. Remember when Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world? What's he talking about? He's talking about the pattern, the influence of the principalities, the powers, the dominions, these cosmic enemies that have been defeated, but they still have influence. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the 
intellectual process of reimagining, reordering, repenting, renewing your mind. It's an incredible thing. Romans 6 verse 12. Let me just show you this, what Paul says. Romans 6 verse 12 says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Everyone say reign. It'll be in your notes. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Here's a clear example of this, this principle. Whenever you see that word reign now, you, you know this, um, that, 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 that pattern that I've showed you. Whenever you see that word reign, that should automatically spark in our imagination. Okay, there's kingship language here. So we can reign with Christ, but evidently there are these still cosmic mischievous little influences who we need not be intimidated by with, by the way, because they have been defeated. We don't need no scaredy-cat Christians. We don't need to be intimidated by them, but they can trick us. And Paul's saying, do not let sin, which is one of these cosmic enemies, do not let sin reign. So evidently, there are moments where I can actually participate with the reign of sin instead of the reign of Christ. Right? That can happen. Does that happen in your life? Actually, don't answer that. You're all nice Christians. That happens in my life all the time. Because I get deceived. I get tricked. I get tricked. But now that we're familiar with some of this language, whenever you see ruling or reigning in the Bible, think to yourself, oh, okay, who am I going to participate with here? The reign of Christ? Or the reign of these mischievous little influences who have been defeated, so I don't need to be intimidated. I just need to renounce that and actually go back. That's, that's all it is. No one's going to call you a naughty Christian here. I'm just going to call you a human. <laughs> I'm going to call you a brother or a sister in Christ. All right? Do you understand that so far? Okay. And I know that's a lot. I get that's a lot. That's why I'm... I tell you what, I'm actually trying to really think of how I'm going to actually bit by bit lead us into this. But the point of today is to start thinking about the times that we're in, to understand the times. We're in this obscure time. It's an obscure time. It's an in-between time. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here. Yahweh's enemies have been defeated, but they're not yet destroyed, so they can still have influence. The divine warfare pattern helps us understand what's actually going on. Helps us understand what Christ actually accomplished on the cross. What are we going to celebrate on Resurrection Sunday? I am forgiven. Praise God. I am justified. Praise God. I am the righteousness of God. Praise God. But all of these cosmic enemies have been defeated as well. And that's huge. The tearing of that curtain, that curtain represented this present evil age. And it's torn from top to bottom. On that curtain were these images of, that were supposed to represent this cosmos, this, this age. And it's been ripped. That gets me excited anyway. That's awesome. It helps us understand our unique privilege of being the church. It helps us understand our witness. I want to pray for people because in light of all of that, I want to bring to our attention, as reclaimed people, resurrection people, who live in this obscure time, as the temple of God collectively. It lets us know that there is literally opportunity to experience heaven 
right now. And what I want to do today, I want to just simply get our prayer team and simply just lay hands on you, if you're willing, and simply say this, open heaven. There are some things that you've been worried about and it's going to require some postures, I, I agree, some change of postures. Money's going to be one. Who's a bit freaked out about money at the moment, cost of living? Still got an issue with tithing though? We don't talk enough about money. And I'm certainly not, like you'll never see me dangle a carrot or persuade or manipulate. But I would dare say if fear of money is something that's really gripped you at the moment, maybe tithing's a posture. They'll actually see that just open up in your life. That's all I'm saying. Marriage, family. Maybe, may, 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 maybe you're a parent and you've got teenagers and the impulse is to control and manipulate, but that's not a kingdom thing. So maybe that's just to let go of that. There, there are some things which I feel like God would want to say to us and just sort of maybe tweak to us and maybe just whisper. And if it is something like money, you might hear the Holy Spirit say, you should probably just start tithing. And that's just between you and God. Or maybe you've got issues like with your marriage and all that and, and God just whispers something. Just write her a card. Go up to your wife and look her in the eyes and say, sweetheart, I just love you. I love you. Just that. But those words will come from the Holy Spirit, not from me. But I'd love to do that with you. So if you would like our prayer team to pray for an open heaven, because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What is a temple? a monument to the victory of Jesus and the literal space on earth where he dwells. Literal. And you need a bit more of open heaven? Cool. I think we're in a position where we could do that. So how about you stand? We're not going to take too long.